0: morning i finally returned remember to turn on my mic uh hey kids it's awesome to have you in here i absolutely love it when you guys come yes levi you guys are so welcome here Uh, If you are a first-time guest, my name is Aaron, a teaching pastor for Riverwood. About once a quarter, we invite our kids to come in with us. Uh, They bring so much energy. We love to have them sing with us, and uh, we love to have them learn alongside uh, of us, uh, with us. Uh, But then uh, next week, they'll be back in their Kids Creek classrooms. Uh, So kids, I am so glad you are here. Uh, This message is not just for your parents. As we talk about generosity today, uh, it is also for you, all right? Because if you can learn these things now, man, you guys are going to be awesome when you're adults, all right? because you're already awesome right now. all right. Um, how many of you have ever seen artwork that when you look at it from one perspective, you see one thing, but when you shift to a different perspective, something else takes shape? If you need an example, look at this video. When it first starts off, you see two giraffes, but as the person with the camera starts moving, you see the giraffe begin to disappear, and suddenly an elephant... Appears. Maybe you need another example. Uh, this next one, you see the uh, continental United States in dollar bills, but as you shift, suddenly it forms the word great. I promise you, I did not take this from a Trump uh, website, uh, okay? I'm not here to stump for Trump or be against Trump. I just thought it was a good example. Uh, probably the most famous example that I, I can recall, I wanted to find it, but I couldn't find a high enough quality video. It's a painting. And when you stand on the left and you look at it from an angle, you see a young girl. But as you begin to move to the right, she ages and you suddenly get to the right side and you're looking at it from this angle and she's an elderly woman. Uh, This type of art is called parallax art. Some people call it perceptual art or perspective art. I just call it cool. Like, it's absolutely amazing to me that an artist would be able to see something, think something through, make it look one way, but when you shift over to another place, you see something completely different. Now, I'm not going to pretend that my sermon today is a work of art. This is probably just going to be yet another sermon in all the list of sermons you've ever heard. But I do hope to do something similar today. I hope to help you make a shift and gain a new perspective. You see, we talked a couple of weeks ago How many people, when it comes to this idea of generosity, of talking about giving, of talking about money within the church, many of us have, well, let's just call it what it is, a cynical response. We have a cynical perspective to this idea of giving. Just last week, uh, I was talking with a, a gentleman I've known for the past, I don't know, seven, eight years since uh, we've lived here in Waverly, just known very casually. He knew that Riverwood had gotten a new building, and so we had a chance to talk and catch up, and he's like, hey, how's the new building working out? Yeah, so we talked about it a little bit, and he mentioned something about, you know, us. it's great that we now own a building, and I said, well, actually, we don't own it yet. I said, we signed a three-year lease. We're in the middle of trying to figure out, you know, what would it look like for us to buy it? Do we need to just sign another lease? Do we need to move to rent to own? We're, we're right in the middle of figuring it all out. Well, as I shared some of that with him, somehow the conversation shifted, and he began to say that all churches want is your money. Now, he's sitting there talking to a pastor, so he gives me an out. He goes, well, Aaron, I, I'm sure you're not this way, but, man, my church, other churches that I know of, all it just seems that all they want is is your money and, and the things that we've been talking about in this series for that cynical perspective it, it doesn't help two weeks ago when we kicked this off we saw that you were to give expectantly like you were to have this posture of generosity but the cynical perspective says well of course you're going to tell people to expect to give because you're just trying to get more from them and then last week ed preached on how we're to give bountifully generously Well, of course you're going to tell people to give generously. That way you get more money. And and churches will, you know, couch it in something nice. Like, oh, you're going to love the new building. You'll love the new program. When we hire that new staff, you know, when we remodel, you're going to love it. This is going to be for our good and for the good of everyone. I mean, they can say some really nice things and and many of them even be true. But if you have a cynical perspective... All you hear is not, hey, this is going to be great for you. All you hear is, we just want something from you for our thing. Well, today's passage is not going to help. Today's passage will just take that cynical nature and pound it down even deeper. Because you're going to hear yet again this idea that if you follow Jesus, you are expected to give financially. Oh, and last week when we heard about giving generously... This week, we hear that we're supposed to do it willingly. Of course, you're going to tell people they should willingly give because that's just more money for you. So so here's what I want to do this week. I, I want us to go to today's verse. I want us to look at it, but we're actually going to look at it through the filter of the cynic. We're going to look at it from that typical perspective. And we're going to see what that looks like. But then I hope that I can somehow make the shift with you And help you begin to see this from a different perspective that reshapes this and you see something completely different. And hopefully something that will really touch you and inspire you. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9. And of course, I forgot my water bottle. Salem, would you grab my water bottle for me? Uh, If you don't have a Bible uh, this morning, don't worry about it. We're going to put the scripture up on the screen so you can read along. Uh, We just encourage you to either download a Bible to your phone and then feel free to use that when you come here on Sundays, whether you're here in person or you're joining online. Thank you so much, buddy. also, if you want to go old school and have a paper Bible, we have some right on the resource table right outside. Stop by. We've got two different translations. We'd love to get you one that will like, really resonate with you because we want you to not just have a Bible here on Sunday. We want you to have a Bible every day because we think the more you get into it on Monday and Tuesday and all the time, the more you'll begin to understand God's heart for you and how he wants to use you to change the world. So we really encourage you to get the Bible. All right, as we get ready to read 2 Corinthians uh, 9 verse 7. Uh, let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we are about to come to what I believe is your holy word. Uh, These words were written so long ago, and yet it is still so amazing to me that these words have continued to resonate throughout the generations. And now we find ourselves sitting here on October 3rd, 2021, about to look at these timeless words. But Father, many of us bring biases into this. So Father, I just pray you'd help each and every one of us, myself included, to not try to fit this into what we want it to say, to not try and wash away what you were intending to say all along, but that we would approach this with an open mind and open heart. Because God, I truly do believe that this whole idea of generosity isn't about what you want from us. It is actually what you have for us. So God, I pray you'd help me to teach accurately and correctly today that you'd help me to speak what you want me to say, because God, I, I think it is impossible for me to talk to so many different hearts and minds and somehow convince everyone. Lord, that's only something you can do. So take my little offering here, use this for your glory, and change us and help us to gain a new perspective. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, join me at verse seven. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, Next week, we're going to touch on that very last phrase of being a cheerful giver. So this week, we're going to hit all of the earlier stuff. Now, the cynic looks at it and says, well, of course, it says each one. I, I mean, if you can convince every single person to give, that's just more money. Oh, and notice it says each one must give. So you're you're basically convincing everyone that man, if I'm going to please God, I got to do this, and that's just more money coming into the coffers for the church. But there's something irritating about it because when it says each one, it seems like Paul, the the author, is saying no exceptions. Because I I I know some of you might want to push back and go, but wait wait, Aaron, what what if you're in incredible debt? Like, like what if you're barely making ends meet, right? What, what if you don't have a job or you've got huge financial issues coming? Surely there's an out. And the cynic looks at it and goes, yeah, the church doesn't care. The, the perspective is they just want your money. They're going to try and talk really nice to you, but you know, too bad. You, you don't have a job too bad. You, you don't know where your, your paychecks come from or how you're going to pay the mortgage next week but you still got to give. Last week, uh, as we talked about generously, Ed touched upon the idea of uh, percentage giving. That for throughout time, many, many religions, Christianity included, have said that this 10% mark is a great place. Now, some have taken it a very legalistic route that if you don't give 10%, God's not happy with you. Right? But for many people, that 10%, it, there's a sacrificialness to it. Like, It's small enough that it's not going to break the bank, but it's large enough that you feel it. It it feels very generous, very bountiful. Well, you see, if you actually do percentage giving, then if you aren't making very much, you aren't giving very much in the eyes of the world. But to you and your bank account, it's a ton. I, I remember the days where for us to even commit to give $100 a month to our church for a, a capital campaign they were going through. Our, our church in Denver, Colorado, met in a school, trying to get land, trying to get a building. We were so poor that like $100 sounded like $1,000 per month. Like it, it, was, it was going to break the bank. We had no idea how we were going to do it. And yet we felt God calling us to this, and we did it. And you know what? The months that we actually gave the $100, somehow we had everything we needed the rest of the month. And yet, the months when we convinced ourselves we didn't have enough, we didn't give it. And some months, those were the months that were the hardest. It was bizarre. It was weird. So you, you want to find the exception, but Paul doesn't seem to give one. But I also want to remind you, we're going to touch on this later. I want to remind you, This whole conversation about generosity, it's not just about money. So let's say you are without a job. You have no paycheck coming in. You have zero. So 10% of zero is still zero. But you have some time. You have some energy. You have some skills. How could you use some of that to still be a blessing, to still help? Like I said, we'll touch on that a little bit more. The cynic looks at the very beginning of this. Each one must give and says, of course you're going to say that. And then they would go, go on and get carried away. Well, what do they say? How, like, how are they say you're supposed to give? First is you were to give willingly. At the very center phrase in there says you were to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. This is to be willing the cynic looks at that and says, Well, of course you're going to tell people to willingly give, because now they feel like it's of their own volition. It's, this is just emotional manipulation. So you're to give willingly. Second, you are to give intentionally. Notice it says, after each one must give in his heart, I mean, sorry, that each one must give as he has decided. This is a decision. Well, usually the church is trying to make the decision for you. We've got a new building. We want to buy this place. Oh, we want to buy land. We want to do this. We've made the decision for you. Give to this. But then notice it says that you're not just to make the decision with your head. Paul goes on to say, you were to make this decision in your heart. This is to be a very thoughtful, like I would even say prayerful. The cynic says, well, of course. If you make people think like, oh, I'm praying, God, what do you want me to give? now they feel like this emotional like manipulation to do it so the cynic just says yeah this just compounds the issue this just goes to prove my point this is all just spiritual foo foo thrown on top of it but really you're just nothing but an infomercial host hawking your wares you're lying to me the product i'm going to buy is just going to end up in the closet or in the garage sale it's a bunch of lies you know what? If you hold that cynics perspective, I don't blame you. I, I understand it. In fact, I'm going to even go so far as to say that if you hold the cynics perspective, you're right. If, if the underlying assumption that you are making this perspective about is actually true. You see, our perspective is shaped by this unstated assumed truth. And if that assumed truth is actually correct, guess what? Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. I just realized I skipped something in my sermon. (laughs) Don't you hate that little brain farts? Uh, but if, if, uh, if your assumed truth is, is actually true, then, then I get your cynics perspective. The part I skipped was my, uh, uh, adverb. It's up on the screen now. Uh, see, this is the problem of now having a confidence monitor. I can now see what I've messed up. Uh, but if you were to give willingly, intentionally, prayerfully, my, my silly little adverb is to give whippily. But the point I wanted to make was that you may not hear a silly adverb. What you hear is coercion. What you hear is manipulation. What, what you hear is, like I said, that infomercial host selling you a bill of goods, selling you a lie. And so it causes us to want to pull back, say, man, Aaron, I've seen this statue before. I know what this looks like. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give. So what is this assumed truth? The assumed truth is this, that what you have belongs to you. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the car I drive is my car. The house I live in is my house. The clothes I'm wearing are my clothes. The the money in the bank account is my money. This just makes sense. Because I mean, after all, you worked the job that made you the money. I mean, you made the investments that have given you those dividends. You, you Kids, you were the ones who your grandparents gave you the money. And so now you used that money to go and buy yourself a video game or to buy yourself an iPhone or to buy yourself a new car. And so because this was money that I got, that I earned, and then I used it for something, I got this exchange. And so therefore it is mine. And so if this is true then your cynical perspective is not only understandable, it's probably correct. Because really what the church is trying to do is get you to part with what is yours and make it theirs. But the thing is, this isn't true. In uh, day one of um, the devotional books that we're having, um, by the way, I uh, discovered through my wife that uh, what is written in the books and written in the uh, app, is not the audio. Um, So if you're using the audio, you're getting a whole new experience. And I apologize that I wasn't thorough enough to go and listen to the audio. I just made an assumption. Um, But I've discovered that there's additional audio teachings going along with this. I'm going to trust that they're not teaching you a bunch of heresy. But all that to say, the app and uh, the, the devotional book had six different verses on day one. And it gave it this topic, it's called this, God is the owner of everything. Out of these six verses, here are three of them. From Psalm 50, uh, from, uh, on the screen are verses 9 through 12. But these are uh, portions of 10 through 12. God is saying that every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills, and the creatures of the field are mine, the world is mine, and all that is in it. God also says, down in Leviticus twenty five twenty three. That the land is mine and you, as he's talking to the Israelites, you are but aliens and my tenants in the land. Or how about this one? Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The script, and, and that's just three of the six on there. And those six don't even capture all of them in the entire Bible. The scriptures are incredibly clear. Everything is owned by God. I mean, it makes sense. He's the creator of all. So therefore he is the owner of all. And so that means that that assumed truth that what I have belongs to me is wrong. And actually the true truth is that what I have belongs to God. And that shifts everything. Because now when you suddenly realize that everything that you have is actually his... It makes it just a little bit easier to give. Because it's no longer about me losing something. It's about me using what is his and using it to help others. You also find yourself wanting to be a little more intentional. As as you give, you don't want to just be haphazard with God's stuff. You'll put a little more thought into this. Which leads then to that last part of Whippley, To prayerfully. Because you don't want to just lose God's money. So you're going to talk to him. God, Where do you want me to give? How do you want me to give? So there's going to be prayer involved as you think through intentionally how to give this willingly. I was uh, talking with my church planting uh, coach. Uh, His name is Steve. Steve lives up in the Twin Cities uh, getting ready to plant his fourth church. And uh, we've been meeting about every other week for, I don't know, maybe six, seven years. Uh, He knows that at Riverwood, we're going through this generosity campaign. So he just simply this last Thursday asked me, hey, how's it going? And I inevitably started sharing just a little bit of what I was going to be sharing with all of you today. And he said, Aaron, you know, something really interesting about that. He says, when you ask the question, how much should I give? You're running off of that first assumed truth that what I have is mine. But if you realize the true truth that what I have belongs to God... To ask how much should I give is the wrong question. Really, what you should be asking is how much should I keep? As soon as Steve said that, I found myself convicted. I was, I was a little blown away. Like, whoa. And suddenly you begin to understand, that, get a new perspective, that now God can ask us to give Generously. Because it's already his, and he's asking us to simply use what he's given us to bless others. So we are to give whippily, willingly, intentionally, and prayerfully. Because what we have is not ours, it's God's. But let's say for a second I haven't convinced you. Let's just say for a moment that, Aaron, I don't care what you say. Yes, I'm a Christian, but come on, it's It's my stuff. I mean, yeah, God maybe provided me with a job, but it, it's my income. I, I, I bought these things. They're mine. And yeah, I'll take kid care of them, but, but it's mine. Okay, you know what? I'm not going to fight you on it. I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know what? I know you're wrong, but I'll just pretend you're not. All right, I'm wrong. You're right. Your stuff. But if you say you're a Christian, that means you want to live like Jesus lived. So you know what? To help you then, since you're not convinced it's God's stuff, Let's just go and look at how did Jesus handle his stuff? Well, we could go and talk about how Jesus gave of his fist. He he, he gave of his influence to the people sharing wisdom. He he gave of his skills, healing them, gave of his time to them. He was so generous with his stuff. The thing that was most precious to him was his life. He was God incarnate, God in the flesh. He had done nothing wrong. And yet Jesus gave his life for us. And he did it whippily. He did it willingly. The the skeptics try to tell us that it was divine child abuse, that the father sent the son to die for us. And yet, as we looked at a good Friday, we saw Jesus walking with his disciples towards Jerusalem and he knows exactly what is happening and he's out in front of them. He went willingly. He also did it intentionally. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, Think about that. The king of the universe, kings are to be served. And yet the king of the universe comes to earth and does not come to be served, but to serve. We see him washing feet. We see him feeding the masses. We see him caring for the outcast. But we also see him giving his life. He did it intentionally. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And he also did it prayerfully. The night before Jesus is arrested, he is in a garden praying. He knows exactly what is ahead. He knows he's about to be arrested. He knows he's going to be falsely tried. He knows he's going to be tortured. And he knows he's going to be killed upon a cross. That is why he is sweating blood. It's why he talks to the father in prayer and says, take this cup from me. And yet he said, Not my will, but yours. He did this willingly, intentionally, and prayerfully. So even if you are right, and your stuff is your stuff, if you say you are a Christian, then you are to follow the life, the, the example of Jesus. You are to live like him. And that means you are to give. You are to give willingly. Intentionally and prayerfully. But as I've been saying, this is not just about money. So I want to ask you Does your checkbook and bank statement reflect Whippley? But also, what about your calendar? Does your calendar show an intentionality? What about your coworkers or your classmates? What about your teammates, your neighbors? Would they describe you as doing things willingly, as doing things with intention, of doing things thoughtfully, even prayerfully? Would they describe you as being generous? Because when you live that generous life, you are now living like Jesus lived and loving like Jesus loved. The one who gave his life willingly, intentionally, and prayerfully. Heavenly Father, I just pray you would help us to be these kind of people that we would truly live willingly, intentionally, and prayerfully, that we would give these things because you have given to us. Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to follow your example. But more than that, Father, I pray you'd change our perspective. I pray you would help us to truly see that all that we have is truly yours. We can't take a single thing with us when we pass out of this life. It's all yours. And so God, help us to use it to honor you. Help us to give, not just into Riverwood, but to give into ministries, to give to other people, to give to the poor, to give these things, to help them. But God, help us to be people that don't just give money and then ignore everything else. Help us to be the people who will give of our influence, who will give of our skills, who will give of our time. Because God, I believe this will bring glory to you, but it also bring joy to us. Father, the things of this world are a burden, and you know that. That's why you come to free us of these things. That's why you tell us in Colossians 3 to set our hearts on things above, not on earthly things. So God, I just pray for the person here who's been worried about finances, who's been feeling overwhelmed. I pray that you would free them. God, I pray for the person who's wealthy, who who they've been relying on their bank account. They've been trusting that the money will continue to come in. God, I pray that you'd help them to be free as well. Because God, what we need is you. You are the only thing we can really have in the next life. So Jesus, help us to treasure you so much now. And as we treasure you, we become like you. We become willing to give. We'll be intentional about it. And we will make it a conversation with you, doing it to honor you. Right now we're going to move into our time of communion. As you go to the communion elements during this next song, I want you to realize Jesus gave himself for you. He did this willingly, intentionally, and prayerfully. And as you take those elements and bring them into yourself, ask him to make you more like him, that you too would use your Monday to be generous. That on Tuesday, you'd bless someone. And on Wednesday, You'd be giving. So may this next holy time just be for you and God. May you just sit in silence. May you stand and sing. May you spend some time praying. Do what you need to do to just meet with God in these next few moments. And if you've sensed the Holy Spirit telling you, give this to me. You need to release this. Open your fist. May this next bit of time of worship be the chance to shift your perspective And you can see what God has for you because he loves you. May you give yourself now to him. May we do this in remembrance.